buddy. <laughs> so I, I have to admit that the, the amount of pressure there is to preach on a potluck Sunday is just incredible because right around that 11.30, 11.45 mark, the smells really start coming in here. And maybe, we, maybe they were here the entire time and we just start to notice it as we get closer to noon. So my, my goal is to keep it somewhat brief. Sometimes I say that and the goal isn't met, but that, that is truly my goal this morning. <laughs> um, but as we kind of start off, I just think of, uh, there was this time in my life right after graduation and before going to college where I, I was working full time, but also I had a lot of free nights, and as long as I let my parents know where I was going, as long as they were okay with the friends I was going to see, like, and I had a clear end time, they were good with me going out, and so I would stay out to, like, midnight, which to a, a homeschooler, that's pretty, that's pretty wild, um, and, and I would, I would go and hang out with my friends, and we'd stay out somewhat late, and I remember thinking that was pretty crazy, but also I was the friend that, like, when my other friends would be out, their parents would be like, well, who's gonna be there? I was the friend that they'd be like, well, Jacob's, Jacob's going to be there. They're like, oh, that's fine. Just stay out until Jacob's going to leave. Then you can go and Jacob's there. I was, I was the excuse for friends to stay as long as possible because I was not that crazy of a teenager growing up. But there was this time I went to my friend Braden's house and we'd hung out for most of the day and we were like, well, let's watch a movie. So we turn on Netflix and we're kind of looking through and it's that time where you, you don't really know what you want to watch. You know you want to watch something, but you're just not convinced what it is. And so we landed on Mission Impossible 1, which I, I hadn't seen for a while. And uh, if you haven't seen it, I'm sorry, there might be some spoilers, but it's older than me, so I think that's okay. Um, the, the opening scene, the opening mission, right? Tom Cruise's character, Ethan Hunt, and his crew, they're doing this mission, and all of a sudden it just starts to fall apart. And he's got teammates that are dying, and, and there's this scene where, like, he's running through town, and he's fully decked out in a suit, and he's got his finger to his ear, and he's yelling, abort the mission, abort the mission, and he, like, reaches this bridge, and he's yelling it, and all of a sudden there's this big explosion. And I remember from that moment on, I was like, I have a new bucket list item. I would love to get fully decked out in a suit and just run down a busy street and just yell abort the mission and just see people's reactions. Like that was, that was kind of my, my thought with that. But with the Mission Impossible movies, th there's a, a constant thing in all of them. There's usually some creative way that the, the main agent, Tom Cruise, would get this message. In the first one, it's like a movie on a plane. The second one, it's these sunglasses. And, and they'll put them on or they'll, they'll listen to the movie or whatever it is. And there's this common phrase in each one. They say, after they present the problem, they say, your mission... There we go. Should you choose to accept it? I was worried it was going to be really quiet at that point. But yeah, your mission, should you choose to accept it, and I've never seen the movie where the agent refused to accept it, right? Like, could you imagine at that point if they kind of like, listen, your mission, should you choose to accept it? They're like, nope, and they throw it away, and then roll credits. <laughs> uh, that's just not in any of these movies. Every time they accept the mission. You see, we've been going through this gather, grow, give, and go series, talking about the values and expectations God has for his church, and these are values that we have as a church, and Pastor Andy has shared some amazing messages on gather, grow, and give. 
as a church, we're called to gather. In fact, one of my favorite nerdy facts about the word church, it literally means gathering. It's not about the building, but it's the people. And God expects his people to gather together to encourage and challenge each other as we seek to fulfill this mission, which is what we're talking about today. As we gather and as we learn his word, we're expected to grow. We actually talked about this in our youth Sunday school this morning. There's this point in Hebrews chapter 6 where the author of Hebrews says, let's move beyond the basics of our doctrine, of our faith, and let's grow as we continue on. Paul even uses this language where he's like, there's so much about the faith, about what we believe that I want to tell you, but you're not ready because you're still kind of at this basic level. Like every Christian is called to grow. And I already mentioned today that last week, Pastor Annie talked about giving, which can always be a, a challenging and touchy subject. But I love the takeaways that Pastor Andy gave us. He doesn't just demand our money like he needs it or something, but instead he calls us to give so that we can see how he uses what we give, but also he blesses us in the giving as well. Generosity is a blessing for both parties. But along with that, he calls us to give not just our money, but our time and our talents too. He has uniquely placed us where we are at to give what only we can give. And so today we're wrapping up the series talking about the word go, and this is how we phrase it on the church website. We believe that following Jesus offers us the only true way to live life to the fullest. With good news like that, we cannot help but share it. As a church, our goal is to help encourage and equip one another to point people to Jesus as we live in our community. And this is coming from the words of Jesus in Matthew 28, 18 through 20. We call this the Great Commission. He says, I have been given all authority in heaven and on earth. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I have given you. And be sure of this, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Now, since we've already done a series on evangelism this year, um, you guys are dismissed. Have a great day. I'm, I'm kidding, of course. While there will be some nods to evangelism in our sermon, did someone da- say dang it back there? <laughs> Sorry, that got me. While there will be some nods to evangelism this morning, we're going to focus on something a little bit different in this message. Since we're focusing on the word go, we have to naturally ask, what am I supposed to go and do? And if you listen to the text or if you read it here, it's pretty obvious. Looking back at the main part here, he says, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to do all that I've commanded you. See, it says, go and make disciples And it also tells us how we make disciples by baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Spirit and teaching them the instructions of Christ. Now, I have to give a warning here. Um, I get really nerdy when it comes to the language and things like that and there are some key things to focus on here. So, if that is what gets you excited about this, you're going to follow along just fine. If that's not your thing, Bear with me. I, I'm not going to spend a lot of time in it here. But, but the word used for making disciples, it's an imperative verb. And basically what that means is that it's a command. It has this intensity behind it. This is the mission to make disciples. It's not a suggestion. It's the call. 
The words used, uh, the words used for go, baptize, and teach, these are participles. Again, like I told you, it, it gets a little weird here. Th- this means that when there's an imperative like make disciples, these words are dependent on that main verb. These words surround that. They're what that, those words are about. And then along with it, they carry the imperative tone with it. If I've lost you, I, I'll try and get you back here, okay? So another way that go can be translated is as you go. And I'm hesitant to share that this morning because I've heard a lot of people try and use it as, as a casual great commission. Almost like Jesus is saying, when it's convenient for you, if you've got time, go make disciples. Uh, but if you're too busy, I totally get it. Right? Like it, when it's convenient for you. And, and even though that sounds nice, that's not the tone here. Again, it's imperative. While it can be translated as you go, it carries this imperative mood of the main verb. This means not whenever you're ready, it's wherever you're at. Go and make disciples. As you live your life, your mission is go and make disciples. Because the truth of the matter is, not everyone is called to full-time vocational ministry, like being a pastor or being a missionary. God has placed specific giftings and passions in each person and calls us to be faithful with those giftings. Think back to what Pastor Andy said. I mentioned it already, that everyone has been placed uniquely where they're at with gifts and talents to give what they have for the mission of God, for God's glory. So when we read this as, as you go, we have to understand it's not whenever you're ready, it's wherever you're at, make disciples. This means that everyone who follows Jesus lives with the calling and the challenge to know him and show him to others in their context. This means that how someone lives on mission as a business owner will look different than someone who is a teacher. This means that someone who is single will live on mission differently than those who are parents and how they will live on mission. No role is more important, but every role will be lived out differently as you go, wherever you are at, make disciples. Now we might encounter some personal struggles with this call. Maybe for some of us, we don't feel qualified to make disciples. Like I'm barely struggling with my own faith here. How how am I expected to take someone under my wing here? Or maybe for some of us, we, we, if we're honest with ourselves, we don't see other people's faith as my problem. Again, I, I'm barely making it with my own stuff here. I have plenty of problems on my own. Why do I need to include other people's problems in with that? If we look at our main text again, Jesus makes this opening statement. He says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. When the one who has all authority gives the command to make disciples, there really is no argument we can give to say that's not our problem. There is no your mission should you choose to accept it. It's your mission is if we put our faith in Christ and submit to his authority as Lord of our lives, then we inherit this mission, which is his mission. Jesus himself stated his mission when he said, for the Son of Man came to seek and save those who are lost. And if Jesus is our Lord and this is his mission, this means that this is our mission as well. We inherit his mission. And our goal is to point people back to Jesus. This is where making disciples originates. 
our personal commitment and relationship with Christ. When it comes to disciple making, it means that we must first be disciples. We can easily throw around the word disciple and discipleship and forget what it means. In Jesus' time, to become a disciple was a process. Disciples were, in a simple explanation, students, but I think today a, a better example would be interns, almost. Because disciples didn't just sit in class with their rabbi or teacher, and when the time was up, they went home. Their goal was to live life closely with their teachers, trying to learn and gain as much from their rabbi, because the goal of a disciple was to look like their teacher. Every day looking more like their teacher than they did themselves. And one of the things I love about Jesus, typically in Jesus' time, when a disciple wanted to follow a teacher, they'd have to submit like a formal request. And the rabbi would kind of consider it. He'd watch the, the possible disciple. And if he liked who they were, if he thought they'd be worthy enough, he'd accept them. But Jesus, he went out of his way to call disciples. And, and he called, kind of like what Kim mentioned earlier during communion, he called the outcast. He called the unlikely to follow him. In fact, Jesus made it, he said it this way, if any of you wants to be my follower, you must give up your own way, take up your cross, and follow me. To be a disciple, it means you give up your own way, for the way of your teacher, your master. This is why I said earlier that this is more than just evangelism. Evangelism is the start of the process. Discipleship is the rest of our lives, seeking to grow into the image of Christ, to become like our teacher. So inviting people to Jesus, to know him, it's not the end goal, it's the start. Remember, the call is to baptize and to teach them. The point I want us to hold on to is that every Christian, anyone who claims Christ as Lord, they are a disciple maker because they themselves are disciples. Discipleship flows from our own personal walk with Christ. Discipleship is more than relationship. It's obedience to his authority. It's when he grows us through our following him that we can start pointing others to him. Paul said it well in 1 Corinthians 11.1. 1. He said, imitate me as I imitate Christ. I think that's a, a very intimidating phrase to say. That's what it means to be a disciple maker. Another way that Paul put it in 2 Corinthians 5, he said, so we are Christ's ambassadors. God is making his appeal through us. We speak for Christ when we plead, come back to God. To be a disciple maker, to be a follower of Jesus means that we are representatives of Christ to a world that needs him desperately. I was listening to this podcast earlier this week. I talked to my wife about it a few times. She's probably sick of hearing this by now. Uh, but it, it, it hit me very hard. The, the guy leading the podcast, he asked this question when it comes to the topic of discipleship. He asked, are we disciples worth imitating? Considering Paul's challenge, imitate me as I imitate Christ. Are we disciples worth imitating? If people looked at us and said, okay, how they live is how a disciple is supposed to live. Would you be comfortable with that? He then put it another way by asking this. If everyone in the church copied your own personal prayer and Bible reading practices and serving habits, would you feel confident about the condition of the church? 
I don't bring this up to point fingers or to bring guilt, but hopefully for us to be soberly aware of what our call is, to challenge us this morning. I bring this up because I was convicted by these questions. I can be guilty of wasting my time focusing on things that do not matter in the scope of eternity. I can be guilty of dulling the sense of urgency of the mission of God by busying my schedule with things that, while they might not be bad, do not matter or do not belong at the top of the list of things that are most important to things. Every Christian is a disciple maker because every Christian is a disciple, someone who is trying to grow into the image of Christ. And the enemy likes to try and keep us from pursuing the mission by getting us distracted with our own stuff and by our own temptations. Paul gave a challenge to the Corinthian church that convicts me every time I read it. The Corinthians were struggling with this concept. They were very worldly. They liked the benefits of the world and they kind of, their message was dulled because of it. And so Paul presents a lot of challenges to them. And in 1 Corinthians 15.34, he makes the statement that there are people among the Corinthian church that do not know God. And all he says, he says, I say this to your shame. Uh, That's such a gut punch of a statement. Paul doesn't say whether these are unbelievers around the church or these are people in the church that say they follow Christ but don't actually follow him. He just says there are people who don't actually know God and that there's some responsibility on the church because of that. The mission that we are given as followers of Jesus is to make disciples to invest in the lives of others as our lives are growing into the life God designed for us. Anyone who follows Christ is called to be a disciple maker. This doesn't mean that they're perfect or that they know everything or even that they have to hold a Bible study with every person that they meet. It means that we live repeating Paul's words, imitate me as I imitate Christ. What's most important is that we have to remember that our discipleship and disciple making is not dependent on our power. I will fail. We will all fail. Paul failed. Jesus promised his disciples in Acts 1.8. He sent them to Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria, and the ends of the earth, basically from your home turf to the rest of the world. But he told them that he would send his spirit to guide and convict and grow them. He can do amazing things with anyone who's willing to follow and obey. Because the truth of the matter is, church is not something where you just come and, and, and feel good. Now there are times when we need comfort that we come and we're encouraged by other believers. There, there are seasons where maybe we, meet, we need more comfort And yes, come to church. We'd love to be that community. But if we come to church just to be filled and we never pour out, what good is that? You see, the qualifications of being a disciple is to trust and obey the one you are following. And to be a disciple maker requires living out what you have learned and teaching it to others. And we live in a world where you can look anywhere and see that people are being discipled by many different things. To be a disciple does not just mean you follow Jesus. You can be a disciple of anything. Children are often disciples of their parents and their friends. How do I know this? Uh, I have been told how I should vote from eight-year-olds. And I know that they're not watching the news at night and just writing these things down. 
I have heard things that I know they're learning from their friends. Students are often disciples of their teachers. Anyone can be disciples of their favorite speakers and authors and influencers. It's often the aim of our thoughts and actions that points to what we're being discipled by. And if it's not Jesus, it's not worth it. What I love about this topic is that I have so many faithful examples of disciple-making disciples here at M4C that I can point to. I told Scott I was going to talk about him in the sermon today about 30 minutes before the sermon, so he's fully prepared now. Uh, I got a text just this last week from Tristan Price. He's uh, one of our students that just graduated. He's over at ISU, and he sent me a screenshot of a text from Scott Gorzica, actually. And Scott just simply asked him, are you keeping your nose clean? And Tristan said, yeah, and he laughed, and, and he sent me the picture of it. And Scott's been helping out at the youth group whenever he's been able to, and, and he's gotten to build discipling relationships with our students. A- and I've never had him teach a lesson. I've never had him lead a Bible study. I've never had him make students memorize their scripture. He's just spent time with them. He's asked questions. He's gotten to know. He's shared his experience. And he's been able to build relationships to where He's able to check in on some of our graduates. I I just love that example. I think of our teachers for children's church that put time and energy into sharing God's word with the kids in this church family. Every week they get to know your kids and get to share Jesus with them. I was telling some of our teens, there are a lot of volunteers that I remember from church and I don't remember the, the messages that were shared from Children's Church. I, I don't remember those as much as the teens that spent time volunteering, the young adults that spent time volunteering for youth group, and the time that they took to care for me. The, there's one guy I actually saw, he got married recently, which just blows my mind. His name was Eli Taylor, and he was in our youth group. Uh, he was one of the youth leaders. And he like, he was really cool to be around, but he loved every student. Like, I was not the cool student. I would not define myself. No one, I, I don't even know if the people who loved me dearly would say I was the cool student. I was just the awkward one, and I kind of hung back in the back. A- and Eli went out of his way every time to come up and talk with me. And then when I, when I got older and I was really trying to be more active, I remember one time he came up, he's like, well, what, what have you been up to this weekend? And I spent the entire weekend babysitting my younger brothers. And of course, I had the best attitude about it. I was like, oh my gosh. I haven't gotten to do anything. I just babysat my little brothers. And, and he was like, that is so cool that you got to serve your family in that way. And I was like, oh yeah, yeah, that was, that was really cool. You're right. And, and it was one of those things that like, he wasn't paid staff. He, he took time out of his schedule to just be with, play goofy games. Uh, he led worship and he just loved on students. And I remember a conversation with him that I do most of the lessons that some of the paid pastors gave at youth group. Breaks my heart as a pastor, but I love it to see volunteers getting active with students because I know those are situations that will make an impact for eternity. That's what discipleship looks like. I think of our small group leaders, men's group and women's group leaders, people who will put an event together and encourage godly community and conversations. No matter how big or small the groups are, it is discipleship that will change lives. Those are just the people that quickly come to my mind. But there are so many more examples. There are so many more people who give their time and energy and talents to the mission of God. 
one of the questions that, that I read somewhere, and it's something I try and ask our students every now and then. Uh, on a Sunday, uh, I, I try and ask, who's more important? The pastor preaching the sermon or the nursery worker changing the diapers? And, and after a while, I think our students know that a lot of my questions are trick questions. And so they'll go with the, qu- the answer that doesn't seem to be the right one, but maybe he's trying to, he's trying to get at something here. Uh, but the, the answer is both are equally important. Both are serving the kingdom of God in incredible ways, but one doesn't get as much attention as the other. Every person has an opportunity to be a disciple maker, to make a difference in the mission of God. We are all called to go make disciples in our own context. Parents, your kids are your mission field. Business owners, your business is your mission field. Teens, your schools and your friends groups are your mission fields. Everyone has their place that they are called to make disciples as they go, wherever they are at. We all, as followers of Christ, have the same mission, but will carry it out differently according to our context. How will you carry out this mission? I think the first thing for just application here, maybe you're just starting Maybe your first step is to become a disciple. Will you accept his invitation to be a disciple? I just think back to that Jesus invited anyone. Even those who considered themselves the lowly of society, he invited them to follow him. See, no matter how bad you think you are, no matter how far you think you've gone, the invitation is the same. Come and follow me. It's Christ who changes lives. It's not just behavior modification. Turn to the life of purpose that God has for you. Become fully alive in him. Put your faith in him. Proclaim your allegiance to him in baptism and learn to live out his commands. Maybe as you're being taught his commands, maybe it's be a disciple and then be a discipler. Start finding ways that you can serve. Maybe it's not big at first. Maybe it's participating in things like the family VBS. Maybe it's finding ways to serve in children's church or whatever it might be. But along with that, find people that can still kind of mentor and disciple you, help you grow closer to Jesus. We have so many faithful people in this church that set amazing examples. And if we just spend time with them and get to have good conversation with them, it doesn't have to be a dry Bible study every time, but maybe it's going hunting and fishing. I know everyone here hates doing that, but for the the sake of the gospel, maybe you can go catch some fish with some people, right? That, I know it's such a sarcastic joke, I'm sorry. But along with that, like, it's spending time living life with people and talking about Jesus as you go. There are young men in this church that could use uh, good examples to learn from. There are young women in this church that could use godly women to pour into them. Like I've said before, we've got teens and children that could use just love and presence from, not presence like gifts, but presence as, as in being near them, from people who are willing to give time. Living faithfully in our context, it's looking at what you can do and doing it, even if it gets you out of your comfort zone. And then finally, it's living faithfully in our context, wherever God has placed you. If you know what it means to be obedient in certain ways, even if you're not fully clear on all the ways God calls you to follow him, be obedient where you know you should be. Eugene Peterson, he, he's a great thinker, a great uh, author, and he, he describes discipleship as long, faithful obedience in the same direction. Just continual pursuit of Christ, doing what you know you ought to do till the day you die. 
Make him a regular part, a normal part of our life. Living in love, living in generosity and forgiveness and righteousness in a world that longs for these things even if they say they don't like these things. Serve where God has placed you and where he convicts you. Again, we are all disciple makers because we are all disciples. We are called as his followers to go. Will you take up that call? Will you pray with me? God, I thank you so much. They don't just call us to feel good. You don't just call us to sit on the sidelines, but you call us to go and share what we've been given, to point others to the life that you offer, which is the best life we could possibly live. God, I I pray that if there's conviction, there's not shame. Lord, but we can look at where maybe, maybe we have been sitting on the sidelines, and instead of feeling bad about that, let us feel motivated. Let us look around at where you've placed us and see how can I be a disciple maker where I'm at. Let us be able to look at what you've given us and see how we can be faithful with it. God, if if there's anyone in here who needs to answer that call to be a disciple first, I pray that you help them take action. Give them the boldness to step out in faith and commit to you. Lord, we pray these things all in your powerful